I saw lame people get up and walk. I, I saw thousands of hungry people fed with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. I saw signs and wonders that I cannot explain to this day. Pastor Natalia uh, got a running start for us on the passage that's still before us this morning last week and uh, wrestled with the difficulty of the language that we use around the sacrament of Holy Communion, for instance, and the eating of my flesh and drinking of my blood and how difficult that sounds to our modern ear. And as we look back to the Holy Scriptures, we can see it wasn't any easier uh, back then. Uh, and the church has uh, struggled with it, you know, really throughout history and tried to wrap it up with doctrines and and uh, such as transubstantiation, transubstantiation, other and others, you know, uh, trying to help us um, make sense of of what is uh, in in the final estimation, kind of a mysterious gift, uh, and we we continue with that uh, that kind of struggle this morning uh, as we follow these follow uh, the followers of Jesus who are. Uh, continue to wrestle with this, and uh, something I've done over the years, every now and then, is I, you know, we're generally we look at scripture from the outside in, where we read and we, where from our perspective, we're considering uh, what the various characters in the passage might uh, be uh, dealing with. But there, there is a way when, with our imaginations to kind of enter the text and look out every once in a while. And when, you, when you do this with Scripture, there's whole worlds that open up between the cracks, uh, between the lines, you know, and we can, uh, we can see people there. Sometimes they are indicated in the text itself, and otherwise, uh, other times, we, we, we would just necessarily know that there were other folks there. Sometimes... Uh, we can have a pretty good guesstimation of who those folks were. Scholarship can help us in this regard. It's often uh, helpful to have a context for um, whom Jesus might be speaking to, for instance, or um, you know, who else might have been there. So uh, there are another kind of fascinating uh, thing to, to grapple with in the Scriptures is, is who's named and, and, and who does not get named. And, and there are lots of sort of famous people in the Bible when you think about the characters that we uh, carry around with us for whom we do not have a name. So this morning I want to take that kind of opportunity just to use our imaginations and from a first-person perspective, uh, speak to what it may have been like to have been there during the time Jesus was making these statements and those who would follow him were wrestling with them and trying to understand and how their lives may have been impacted. So we will hear from one of those followers here. Uh, because of this, many of his disciples, we are told, turned back and no longer went about with him. Good morning, my name is not really important, but I am in the Bible. Jesus even talks about me. Sure, I, I wish I had a name that you might recognize. Maybe if I had done things differently back then, I would be right up there with someone like a Mary Magdalene or, or maybe a Zacchaeus. 
Maybe I could have even written a gospel like Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. That was not to be. Who could have known? Who would have believed it was a crazy time? I was younger. I was idealistic. I was curious. I first met Jesus at a wedding in my hometown of Cana. Uh, You've probably heard of it, I'm sure. It was a big wedding. A couple came from two uh, important families, and, and just about the whole town was there. Everybody was having a great time. There was music and dancing. Then along the way, we heard that the, the wine had run out. Can you even imagine? This would have been such an embarrassment to the families. The party was about to break up when Jesus came and somehow provided more wine. It was the best wine that anyone had ever tasted. Some say it was a miracle. The steward swears that he filled those jars with water, but when they poured them, it was wine that flowed. And so the party continued. Jesus wasn't like those stuffy priests at the temple complex or those barefoot doomsayers down near the Jordan. I think that's why he first got my attention. Jesus knew how to have a good time. We talked about God. It wasn't usually heavy or or oppressive or judgmental. It was engaging. It was moving. Jesus could tell a great story. Jesus was the life of the party. Jesus soon moved on, but word came back to Cana of his adventures out there. He went to Jerusalem for the Passover, and if you believe the stories, he really put those temple priests in their places. He overturned the tables of the money changers and drove out the sacrificial animals. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace, they say that Jesus yelled. Our local rabbi was calling Jesus a rabble-rouser, a troublemaker. When I heard that story, I thought to myself, this is the kind of leader I could follow. Then came word that Jesus had gone to Samaria and was preaching in that foreign place. The priests were absolutely offended. Our rabbi in Cana even preached a sermon about it. I can still hear his stern voice to this day. We must keep our faith pure, he shouted. We are the chosen people, God's elect. Telling Samaritans about God is like dressing a dog in fine clothing. And then one day, there was a shout in the streets, and some of the young children were announcing that Jesus was coming back into Cana. And I, I, I put down my work, I went out to the synagogue, I figured that's where he was going. And sure enough, half the town was already there. There was even one of the king's officers, and he asked Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was sick and nearing death. Go home, Jesus said. Your son will be well. So the officer left, and Jesus continued to teach the crowds. And the next day, that officer sent word by messenger that his son's fever had broken and that his son would, in fact, be all right. It's hard to believe, I know, but I decided that day that there had just been too many coincidences with Jesus, miracles and, and healings and teachings. 
Work was slow. My life was stuck. So when Jesus left Cana this time, I decided to follow him. And I saw some really incredible things along the way. I saw lame people get up and walk. I, I saw thousands of hungry people fed with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. I saw signs and wonders that I cannot explain to this day. I wanted to spend more time kind of thinking about it and taking it all in, but there never was any time. We were always on the move. It, it didn't take me long to learn that life with Jesus was not going to be one long party. Jesus had real work for us to do. We were to feed the hungry. We were to care for the sick and teach the young and comfort the old and the dying. Not every town we visited welcomed us. The days were hot and the sun and the nights could get cold. Jesus was surrounded by followers like me. He taught the people and the crowds of would-be disciples at every occasion. We hung on every word he spoke, trying to understand, trying to believe. But some of his sayings were hard. The way he talked, God expected so much of us. It wasn't enough for Jesus that we kept the law. He really expected us to love each other, to love even our enemies. I know Jesus troubled the rabbis. It was clear that he believed that God had sent him, that God was with him, and he said that God was with us also. And then he said, I am the bread of life. He said, eat my body and you won't be hungry again. He said, drink my blood and you won't be thirsty again. He kept talking about sacrifice. Ours, his own, God's. It was all very confusing and troubling and I couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So one night, as I drift off to sleep, I decided that it was time to go back to my old life, back to work, time to return. And the next morning, I left. And I wasn't alone. There were others who were, just could not put all the pieces together. I mean, we loved Jesus and all. We even believed, at least I think we did, that God had really sent him. But this mystical stuff, this talk of rejection and sacrifice of his body and his blood. We just couldn't deal with all of that. And so we left. And that's where I am mentioned in the Bible. Right there where it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. I went back to work back to my life the way it had been before I ever met Jesus, and then I heard about that Friday when they crucified him. How the soldiers mocked Jesus, how his own disciples denied him or, or, or ran away in fear, how the people betrayed him. How he hung there between two thieves, promising paradise even as he died. Well, you know the rest of the story. The cross could not defeat God. The grave could not hold Jesus. 
As it turns out, Jesus is the life of the party. Like he said, in him was life that would never end. And I still don't understand it all. But it makes more sense to me now, after the crucifixion, after his resurrection. Here is my body given for you. Here is my blood shed for you. And then Jesus asked the twelve, the named disciples, what about you? Do you also want to leave? And Simon Peter, you remember Simon, he pretended like he didn't even know Jesus. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I think Peter was right. Amen. We heard uh, in the scriptures this morning that there are times throughout the history of our faith where followers of Jesus have uh, decided that things were, were just a bit much, a, a bit too difficult, a bit uh, too hard to understand, and so they no longer went about with him any longer, we are told. And Jesus then turned to the twelve, and I've said it many times over the years, when Jesus turns to the twelve, he's turning to the church, and he said, what about you? What about you? And the one who spoke of all the disciples who could have said something at that moment, that Peter said, Lord, you are the life and the salvation. You know, basically, where, where else are we going to go? This Peter who would deny that he even knows Jesus three times as Jesus is under mock trial out in the courtyard. This Peter who was sinking in the raging sea because he lost his nerve and let go of his faith. This Peter in the back of the boat, uh, terrified that his life was to end before Jesus woke up and said, why all the fuss? Why don't you guys just believe? Every time. It wasn't the strength of the faith of the disciples. Peter's case in particular, it wasn't the uh, comprehensiveness of their knowledge. It was the rescue of the Christ who comes and claims and forgives each of us. That's what we were reminded of in Bowen's baptism. That's what happened here this morning. So church, what about you? May our answer be, where else would we go to hear this gospel? And so we go now in peace, having been reminded of whose we are, who we are, and what our job is, this mission we share in the world. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.